get something to write with. I want to give you hope today. I want to ask that God, I, I truly am believing there's going to be a shout in this place as we get ready to end today and believe before we leave this place, there'll be hope here. We can't get away from the difficulties that will come, but I want you to understand this. For the child of God, for the people of God, when difficulties come, it does two things. It proves us and improves us. That's what it does. It proves where our faith is, but also improves us where God begins to build from that. But it doesn't always go that way for people. When something bad happens to some, and even in our, in that, that I've, I've talked with them, I'll hear things like this. I can never believe in a God that allows those things to happen. And I've heard that. I've had the conversations with them right here in New York City and, and in different parts of the country. I've had that. How can God exist if this happens? Just this week, um, one of the United States women's soccer stars, Megan Rapinoe, played in her final game, considered uh, gold medals and considered one of the faces of the United States women's soccer, was finishing her final, this, before retirement, in Chicago at Sh Soldiers Field. They were playing South Africa. And by the 54th, in the 54th minute, just six minutes into the, the, the match, she blew her Achilles in the, in the middle of the match. And at the press conference, of all things to say at the end of your career, it's just the, the voice of someone that has lost sight. This is what she said. She said, when they asked her about blowing your Achilles for your last soccer match, you could see it. This is what she said, that this is proof that God doesn't exist. That's, that's, that's your... That's your conference. That's your press conference. So you're going out declaring because I couldn't finish my final game on my terms. God doesn't exist. Folks, listen to this. I want to I say this. I, I was thinking through this and wrote that when people decide that their suffering and their pain is their apologetic for God's existence, then we live a shallow and selfish life. Let me say that again. Leave that on the screen because you need to understand. When we define God's existence or who God is based on our pain and suffering, we're living a shallow life. And this is such an important part because if we don't get life scripted the way we plan, then we figure that, well, God is not good. And God always seems to be put on the radar of those experiencing disaster, disappointment, and difficulty. No one talks about God until something goes wrong. Just fly the airplanes. And what's amazing is this. It, it, the, the airlines are either atheists or they're Christians. I have, I, I have, there have been times that weather has canceled the flight. And I said, well, do you guys give like a voucher for the hotel? They said, no, it's an act of God. I said, oh, then this is a Christian airlines that you guys believe in God. It's amazing. Erwin Lutzer said it like this. He says, disasters might drive some people away from God, but for others, it has the opposite effects. It drives them into the arms of Jesus. When disaster comes, it, God is not on trial, but we are. That's the proving and the improving that God wants to do. I've, for all my life, I've read, I've read through so many of the works of one of my favorite Christian authors has been C.S. Lewis. And I learned something this week that has literally been enlightening to me. One of, the, one of the first books that literally went um, global for C.S. Lewis in 1940 is when he wrote the book, The Problem of Pain. It was an intellectual attack on that whole view that suffering and evil cannot rule out the existence of God. It's a powerful book. But then something happened that I didn't know about 21 years later. See, C.S. Lewis wrote The Problem of Pain in 1940. But then he wrote a book 21 years later called A Grief Observed. Look at those two titles for just a moment because you have to understand that this is so revelatory that I never knew this with all the years of studying C.S. Lewis. Lewis, in Grief Observed, found himself in a different place because in Grief Observed, it's Lewis's journals when his wife was suffering with bone cancer. She was dying in front of his eyes. He was overwhelmed with sorrow and, and his heart was broken as, as he's watching Joy Davison die before him. 
And this new book called The Grief Observed was really more questions than even answers. He had all the answers and problem of pain. But all of a sudden, when it happens to him, it seems there's more questions than even answers that he had. And in fact, this is the part that was also new to me. When he published A Grief Observed, he used what we would call in, in, in uh, literature, he used a pen name. He went under a different name than C.S. Lewis. He didn't want anybody to know it was him, and it was N.W. Clerk. And when people started reading N.W. Clerk's book, which was C.S. Lewis's, they started giving it to C.S. Lewis to help him during his time and said, you should read this. This is going to help you during your time. And then he says he finally came clean and said, this is the book I wrote from my own pain. It was a book born out of pain. Um, more than, listen to this, it was a book born out of pain more than just simply intellectual answers. And what's amazing is everything is great when it's just writing and preaching. But when it turns to cancer, now you know if what you wrote, preached, and counseled is actually the truth. That's when all of a sudden, when you start to realize to see from the mountaintop we view life, but from the valley we experience life. It was the Holocaust survivor, Elie Wiesel, who said this. She said, whoever, he said, whoever survives a test must tell their story. And David, I want to bring you to some places of hope today. David survived his difficulty. And David has a story of proving and improving in this difficulty. And I want you to hear David's story today because I learned something new this week as my heart was asking God, what do we do as we prepare for the future? As we see difficult times coming, as we see what's coming to this nation and what's coming to this city and what's coming to your nations that you're watching from around the world, I'm telling you, from the UK and to Amsterdam, both in South Africa and, and those that are watching all over the world, I'm telling you, something is coming. And that's why this is gonna be so important. How, how do we go from stress to strength? What's the prayer that takes us from this weight to a place of trust? And David is about to face his grief-observed moment. He's about to be right down in the battlefield. And it's no longer going to be, to David, a theological document, but it's now going to be personal. And David, thank God, is going to be driven into the arms of Jesus. But he is going to have his moment of questioning God. And why is this important? This is a prayer that I have held on to through some of my most difficult times, but I didn't realize what it was connected to. It's a prayer that I have quoted and I have said and felt deeply for so much of my life when I've gone through those dark moments, those valleys, those difficulties, praying, God, prove me and improve me during this time so I can tell my story. And in fact, it's a prayer that has a unique place because it's during an intense time. And when I read you the words of David's prayer, it, the words are probably gonna sound similar to something you have voiced and even complained to God about. So let me tell you where this prayer, many things belong. David's prayer literally belongs between stress and strength in 1 Samuel chapter 30. You're gonna understand that statement in just a moment, just bear with me, I'll just take a moment. It's a moment that many take this prayer from Psalm and put it right here in this chapter. We have a story in 1 Samuel 30 where David is spent. He has hit the wall emotionally, physically, and spiritually. He has been a fugitive, running for his life for almost 15 years. He's got no security whatsoever. And it seems that he hits a wall while so close to what really the, the finish line is of this season. He was at the intersection of prove and improve. And the only thing David has left in him is a 15-year-old prophecy given to him by a, by a prophet named Samuel that he would be the next king of Israel. And by all, by, by, by all visual moments, you'd look at it and going like, there is no way that this is going to happen. You don't look like a king. You, this is impossible for this to happen. In fact, 
it seems the only person that believes this prophecy is the present king, Saul, and that's why he's trying to kill him. David is less than one year away from this prophecy coming true. And David retreats to the Philistine camp because he is tired, he is spent, he's hit the wall. He doesn't know how, many, how much more he has left in him to run for his life because Saul is trying to kill, kill him. And the enemy of Israel, where he hopes Saul won't come in the Philistine land, a group come in and they take the women and they take the wives and they take the children. And in the midst of being in the enemy camp and during this kidnapping, the wives and the children are all taken. David and his men are the only people that are left. This is kind of the, the final straw, just going, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I don't, I don't have anything left. I can't, I have nothing left to give. And then this is what it says. When David hits rock bottom, this is where the prayer they, that we're going to read in just a moment is kind of tucked in between stress, distress, and strength. Listen to it. I read this to you a couple weeks ago. And it says this. Now David was greatly distressed for the people. These are the men spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people. These are the men that were going to defend him. Now they lost their wives and their children. They're going like, let's kill him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. Then it says this. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. One version, the old King James. How many still read a King James Bible? Would you raise your... Uh, oh, I love it. I bet it's different in the one o'clock. But let me just say this. It's younger, and so it's... Uh, let's not even go there. But here's what happens. This is a huge jump. Look at that verse again. David was greatly distressed. And then it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now what happened? A man that has hit the wall, that has nothing left in the tank. How do you go from stress to strength? How do you get to that point? How, how does this happen? And scholars and Bible teachers associate a prayer that occurs between, it's the first time I've ever seen this in all the years I've studied this chapter in the Psalms. It's a prayer that they say that David prayed that turned his stress into strength, encouragement. It's the prayer that was prayed at his lowest point that brought David from pouting to shouting. And you'll see it. It's only six verses. And it's Psalm 13 that I want to take you to. If you have a Bible or if you don't, you'll see it on the screen. It's six verses that seem to be between stress and strength, from pouting to shouting. And here is what happens, because you're going to see this amazing transition. But here is where it starts. Let me read it to you. Psalm 13. David says these words. This is what I've sometimes have read and have even quoted to God myself. David says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever. I know none of you have ever said that. How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all day? How long will my enemy be exalted over four times? He keeps questioning God. And he just then finally he just goes, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. This is while he's in stress. This is why his, his wife and his children are gone. All of his 600 men have lost their families. All want to kill him. And this is David just from the very beginning. He just goes, consider and answer me, please, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. This is David going, or it's over for me. And all of it, he says that my enemy will say I've overcome him. My adversaries will rejoice when I'm shaken. And then something happens that turns the stress to strength. Something happens where he's going from pouting to shouting. And it turns on a conjunction. You, you remember that on Saturday mornings? School, school house rock. If you don't know what a conjunction is, there's a song we used to sing called Conjunction. What's your, 
It's amazing. You know that, but you don't know the scriptures. You know schoolhouse rock, but conjunction, junction. What's, what, what he says is that on a small word, everything can change at that moment. Just on a but, an and, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter what the first top part of the sentence says, but if a conjunction is added, the conclusion is underneath. And all of a sudden, on top of David is, how long will you forget me? How long will my enemies come against me? How long will I have to take counsel in my own soul? How long, oh God, how long? And then all of a sudden, like, like schoolhouse rock, the butt comes in and says, but... I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And David says this, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. How did that happen? How do you go from pouting to shouting? How did you go from stress to strength? Something happened here. You see the anguish and you hear the frustration with that phrase, how long, is repeated four times. But this prayer is almost like it begins with winter and ends with summer. It starts with a frustrated grumble and ends with a rapture of praise. How long? You know it. It's a complaint about timing, waiting, and impatience with God. How many have faced at some point a how long prayer or cry? How many are lying that you have, if you've walked with God, this is it. It's a short psalm with a transitional change which is so epic. The first two verses are dark and depressing. The last two verses is joyful and hopeful. In fact, I was reading one writer says, you would think that the Psalm 13 has been written by two different people. You read the first part, you're going, wow, that man has problems. And then you read the end, you go, wow, that man loves God. And then we as believers go, wow, that's the same man. And if he could do it for him, he can do it for me today. But I want to show you how David goes from that pout to shout. There's a clear path from stress to strength. And Psalm 13 is the cry of a desperate man that starts off with a place that you're realizing as he's questioning God, how long, how long, how long? It doesn't sound like he's improving because the more he says it, how long is the, I hate to say it this way because I've, I'm, I, it'll, it's going to self-incriminate me. How long is the cry of a child that's still immature? That's what it is. How much longer do we have in this ride? As you're going on a family trip, how much longer is this going to take? How many parents know what I'm talking about? That's the, it's the cry of the immature. It's the cry of the child. It's the cry of the lack of understanding. How much longer is this going to take place? How long? How long? How long? David begins to cry out and four times you hear David's cry of how long listen to it how long O Lord will you forget me how long will your face will you hide your face from me how long oh God shall I take counsel in my soul that's an important one and how long will my enemy be exalted over me which is not even true in fact when you start to look at all this three of them aren't even true and one of them is a threat it's questioning God about his timing, your disagreement that it should have already happened. Ricardo said this, he says, delay is not denial, but really delay reveals. Delay is a revelation. It reveals our, it reveals our maturity or our immaturity. It's, it's how we know where we are sometimes spiritually because David doesn't like God's calendar and neither do we. We cry the same thing. How long will I be sick? How long will I be stuck? How long will I be, here it comes, single? You knew I was going to say something. How long will I be unemployed? How long will I be depressed? How long till we have a child? 
how long will I go through this? And, and here's to add insult to injury. This is, this is what gets me. This is a prayer that God doesn't even answer. He asks four times because God knows that the answer to that question is what's not needed for David to get to go to the next place that he has. We think the questions we have, if they get answered, then that will help us. And God is much smarter than us. Because here's what's amazing. Listen now, church. When David is at his lowest point is when David is closest to the prophecy, to the destiny, to what he was called to do. Do you understand? Listen to this. Don't miss this. David is literally months away from becoming king of Israel. And he is about to throw it all away. How long? How long? How long is this going to happen? And here's what I want you to understand. David was not asking a rhetorical question. David wanted an answer, but God was silent. So the great devotional writer Oswald Chambers said it like this. He said, as God trusted you with his silence, it's a silence with a great meaning. God's silences are actually his answers. His silence is the sign that he's bringing you into even a more wonderful understanding of himself. That's what he, God was doing something. God was about to bring David into that greater place. It's just frustrating when God doesn't do what your calendar says. That's what frustrates us. If I was to show you my home screen on my iPad that I preach from, um, there is a picture of it, of a statue from downtown Boston of one of America's great preachers from the 19th century. His name is Phillips Brooks. He's the pastor of Boston's old Trinity Church. And when I saw the statue, I took a picture of it and I put it at the front that every time I'm open and getting ready to preach, I would see it. And it's a picture of Phillips Brooks standing with a Bible and getting his hand is up preaching. And you could see it. It's on my iPad. He's getting ready to preach. And right behind him is Jesus with his hand on his shoulder saying, I'm basically, I'm with you when you share this word. This was a man that was filled with poise. It was a man that was filled with patience. That, that as, I was, as I was reading about a story... But they said one day, one of his friends walked into the back into his study and saw him feverishly going back and forth in his office like a caged lion. And this is what his friend asked him. says, what's the trouble, Dr. Brooks? Listen to this. And Dr. Brooks said this. The trouble is that I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. The trouble is that I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. How long will you forget me, for, forget me, oh God? It's the, it's the cry that says, everyone else is getting something but me. How long will you hide your face from me? It's this cry. If you're there, then you better do something already. How long, this is the threat, how long shall I take counsel in my own soul? It's the threat that says, I, you better answer or, or else. And then there's the, how long will my enemies be exalted over me? He's saying, why does it seem there's more defeats than victories in my life? And then David hits rock bottom and says these words. He said, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes. Now listen to this last part. Or I will sleep the sleep of death. Now people have struggled with this last phrase because many believe that that last phrase, or I will sleep the sleep of death, it's the, th it's the threat of David. It's David going, what's the sense of living? What's the sense of even going on? I'll take my life before even the men get at me. It's, it's something has gotten into him and just basically says, consider and answer me, O Lord, or I'm going to sleep the sleep of death, or it's all over. And that's not, that's not crazy. It's, it's not this out-of-box thinking. It's, it's not a foreign feeling. Jonah faced it. Paul faced it. Jeremiah faced it. Moses faced, faced it. Elijah faced it. It was his threat. I learned 
so, much, so many new things this week, whether it was C.S. Lewis or this prayer, and I've learned something else. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on some ground here that, that I was never good at in school, but I'm going to do it. I realized this week that all caterpillars don't become butterflies. I've realized that. I just thought, it, hey, if you're born a caterpillar, hey, good news. You're going to fly one day. And then I learned something that scientists say that there is a fly that can come and, and, and thrust itself onto and into the body of a caterpillar, lay an egg that turns into a grub. And this is what I learned. Now, here comes my, now, don't, don't go after me. This is my non-biology language. And, it, and what I learned is, this is me trying to make me understand it, that when that grub gets in to that caterpillar, it eats away all the butterfly elements out of that thing. It takes away the ability to, to, to go into a cocoon and turn into a butterfly. It takes away the beauty. It takes away the flight. It takes away all these other things that when something gets on you and burrows its way in, some of you are going to understand what I'm talking about. It can take away what you were created to be because it's laid something there that has got stuck in your mind. God has forgotten. God is not for me. And eventually, God doesn't even exist. Like something burrowed its way into our soul and mind that has gone deep inside of us that seems to take away our ability, eats eating away at our ability to fly, to praise, to worship, and even our ability for joy. That some of you have been walking into this church or your church that you're watching around the country and around the world, and you can't remember the last time you walked into church even with joy. Something has gotten in you and is eating away at worship, praise, and joy. But I have to tell you, there's hope today. There's hope today because that's what happened. Those first, those first two verses of Psalm 13 was the grub that landed on him that says, I'm going to eat away. David, you're not going to be king. David, you're not going to be used. David, you don't even deserve to live. David, you should take your life. David, everybody hates you. David, no one likes you. Everyone thinks this. And all of a sudden, God had to step in. There's a moment that that grub is discovered and destroyed. That even when David is crying out going, how long will you forget me? Oh, Spurgeon said it like this. Spurgeon answered David's question. He said, think for a moment. Can God forget? Can omniscience forget? Can unchanging love forget? Can infinite faithfulness forget? God cannot forget anything. It's impossible. He is God. He will never forget you today. And if Spurgeon's not enough, how about Isaiah? But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. God responds, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but God says, I will not forget you. I've inscribed you on the palms of my hand. I, I love that word. I put you on the palms. You, listen, before, listen, you, you young people, before there was iPhones, the, the, the Rolodex, the way you remember someone's number is you'd write it. Oh, how many remember those days? It is as if God is going like a junior high who's in love. He says, your name is what? Your name is Ricardo. I'm going to remember. And, and all of a sudden God goes, Every, why do you put it on the hands? Because it's the most visible place. God can't forget. Every time God goes, oh, there's the person I love. I can never forget them. Hallelujah. I've learned something in these times. The starting point of going from pouting to shouting is number one, complain to the right person. Not your spouse, not your children. Complain to God. He can handle it. And he knows which questions to be silent about 
and he knows what questions need to be answered. Even David said later on, he goes, if I had given into my pain and spoken of what I was really feeling, it would have sounded like unfaithfulness to the next generation. If you're angry with me, don't say it to your family. Tell God about me. Don't talk or come to me or talk to God about me saying that Pastor Delina, every time he is this, he's angry, he's spitting on people. Tell God, tell, tell God about me. If you're the person that's to clean this off after every single sir, tell God, tell God, complain to God. That's, that's how we do it. But when we start complaining to each other, here's a thought, they can't fix it. Only God can fix those things. The second thing is we get ready to close, and some of you are just amazed. Close. <laughs> pray the right thing. Not only complain of the right, but pray the right thing. David's changed his prayer from how long to enlighten my eyes. Listen to it in the Living Bible. Answer me, O Lord my God. Give me light in my darkness. Let me see things correctly. I want, I want time frames, but you want to give me vision. Let me say that again. I want to know when and how long, and God goes, no, 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 no. I want to give you vision to see things correctly. I want you to see like I see. When David prayed the right prayer, enlighten my eyes, something transitioned in his heart and soul. The stress now all of a sudden was going to become strength. The pouting was going to become shouting. Folks, it happened to me. My eyes were enlightened this last week. After sharing, which was such an important message last Sunday, of how a nation that has known nothing but blessing is now can actually come under God's judgment. After preaching that last Sunday, I just, I was, I was, at a place I was just depleted. I was spent. Something was happening in my soul that I'm just going like, God, what, what did I just say? What, am, am I, and I remember, I just, I needed new eyes. I needed God to put new eyes on me. And I'm so thankful for Pastor Carter, our general overseer. He sent me a text last Sunday and, and I, and I want, I, 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 it, was, it was a text which was a reminder to me. I, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe that God still fills people with the Holy Spirit. I still believe that people can be baptized and speak in tongues. I believe there's a word of prophecy. I'm not sure if you've ever had a word of prophecy spoken over you. And if that word has come to pass. I know even some of our children have had that. And my wife and I even pray for some of our kids that they would fulfill that prophecy. There was a young pastor in young Timothy in the, in the Bible that had a prophecy over him. And this is what Paul says to him. He says, Timothy, you have, a, you have to remember that was spoken over you because there's, there's a reason for it. He said, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them, the prophecies, you fight the good fight. He said, something has been spoken over you. Fight the fight with those prophecies. Fight from the prophecy concerning you. And this is the text I got from Pastor Carter. He said, TSC had prophecy over it. And he wrote this to me. I'm going to read it to you. I'll put some of it on the screen. He puts the initials DW for David Wilkerson. And he said this, DW, this is what he texted me. It was, he was giving me the prophecy to fight with when I was depleted. This is what he said in this text. He said, DW said, told, God told him that Times Square Church, and I'm just reading you what the text said, was raised up for these reasons. And then he listed, in a sense, these prophetic words. He says, one, it's to warn the city of impending judgment. So Brother Dave said, he said, Times Square Church was raised, number two, to gather a remnant. I'm just reading Pastor Carter's text those who were willing to become that which God had called them to be. And number three, Times Square Church was 
put here to be a lighthouse in dark times. That TSC is a trusted voice in difficult times. And he wrote this to me. You won't see it on the screen. It was personal, but I'll just give you a piece of it. He says, it's as if nobody called to that pulpit can deviate from that intended purpose. He says, that's... And then he wrote this. It was just so encouraging. He said, stay the course, my friend. God is with you. And my response is, was this. I'll just give you a side note. I, I will tell you this. I said, I will stay the course if you stay the overseer. And then I said, deal? And then said, I have to read to you what he texted back. He texted the word deal, and then he put these asterisks there. He said, this agreement is subject to the general overseer remaining vertical and breathing, is what he told me. I think, for, I think in the midst of stress to strength, when David was at that moment of throwing it all away as the musicians come, I think somehow, like Brother Dave, Pastor Carter did for me, I think somehow David got word. Remember what was spoken over your life. Remember what God has brought you through for these last 15 years. He anointed you 15 years ago, and he's got you this far. He hasn't abandoned you. And then all of a sudden, something clicks. Enlighten my eyes. God goes, listen, listen now, Times Square Church. Listen, for all those that are going, how long? How long are you going to keep me at this church? How long are you going to keep me in this marriage? How long do I have to put up with him, them, her? How long will I be seen? And it's amazing. God never answers that prayer. But when he said, enlighten my eyes... God goes, that I'll answer. Because the answer to how long won't get you through. But if I can get you to see this thing the correct way, he says, then I can get you in just a few months to a throne. Because on that throne, you're going to ask a lot more how long questions when you sit on that throne. But I don't need you. I don't need you to know time frames. I need you to see with my eyes. And he said this, but I, once he says enlighten my eyes, something clicked and said, but I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully. That word means you held nothing back from my life. Everything I've needed, God has provided for me. I want to tell you something I've been doing and then, we'll, then we close here. It's just, I don't ever want to lose my song. I don't ever want to lose, but I've trusted in you. My heart shall rejoice. And then he says this, but I will sing to the Lord with no questions answered. Not one of those how long questions answered. I don't want to lose my song. I don't want to sing songs. I don't want to lose my song in my soul. There's a lot of, folks, I'm telling you, there are songs that you read off the screen, but there are songs that come from deep inside of your soul. I'm telling you, that balcony, you didn't just sing words off a screen. You sang something deep inside of you today. Let me tell you what I have been trying to do each morning and each night. I did it last night. I did it this morning. And David said, and I, and I take it from David, and it's, I've been trying to start and finish my day this way. You, you need to get this down. This is, this, is what, this is what it says. Psalm 92. I don't know if David got this, where he got it, but listen, I'm using it. He said this, every morning, tell him thank you for your kindness. And every evening, rejoice in his faithfulness. And tell him this, you've done so much for me, oh Lord. It's no wonder I'm glad, and I'm going to sing for joy. Wait, put that up again. Go back to verse 2 again. You have to see this. Every morning, tell him, thank you for your kindness. You know what? What is it? It's, 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 not, it's not even noon yet. We have seven minutes before it's noon, so it's still morning. Would you stand and thank him 
for his kindness. Come on, lift those hands and just say, thank you for your kindness, oh God. Come on, tell him, say thank you for your kindness, oh God. Those that are watching around the world, come on, tell him right now in Belgium, tell him right now, tell him right now in Russia, tell him right now in Korea and in China, tell him, tell him in United Arab Emirates, tell him thank you, thank you for your kindness. And then every evening, we thank him for his faithfulness. Let's get ahead of the game. God, you've been faithful. God, you've been faithful. God, you've been faithful. God, you've been faithful to me. God, you've been faithful. You've been faithful. You've been faithful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I learned something. I learned something when I was reading an old, old book about, about just the markets of the first century. They said, when you walk through the markets of Jerusalem, and they said, if you wanted to, because there were so many, it would be like walking on the streets of Broadway and buying one of those knockoff purses that none of you buy. That, that if you were to buy any of those, you know, it's, you can look at certain things and go, that's not real, that's not real, that's not real, and that's not a real Rolex, and that's not a real uh, purse and designer purse. They said the way that you would know if pottery was real, they said all you needed to do was flick it, hit, hit the ceramic, flick it. And this is what they said, if you hit it, it will sing. If you hit it, they said there's a sound. If you hit it, they're not going how long. They're going, all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. If they come over to Ricardo and the enemy hits him, all of a sudden, he starts to lift his hands and a song comes out of him that says, God, where did this come from? And he can declare this. He can declare with David, I've trusted in your loving kindness. I heart rejoices in your salvation. Why? You've given me more than I deserve today. Hallelujah. Some of you are here and you are angry with God because he didn't answer your question. How long? How come? And God goes, just pray and lighten my eyes. God goes, just ask to see it differently. Because you think if I can get my answer, then I'll be good. That's not true. God goes, you've seen it all wrong. And some of you have never walked in strength. You've never walked into shouting because... You are standing there, arms crossed, going, he didn't answer. He took. He's delaying. I'm telling you, he has given you more than you deserve. Bountifully, bountifully, bountifully. David will sing at the top of his lungs. Listen to the way it says it in the message version. It says this in Psalm 13. I've thrown myself headlong into your arms. I'm celebrating your rescue. And here it comes. This is what he says. I'm singing at the top of my lungs. I'm so full of answered prayers. All the blessings. He thought of silence, the fears, the doubts of the irritation, the affection, the grub that was going to try to eat away of the how long. And so like the old adage says, the optimist says the cup is half full. The pessimist says the cup is half empty. But the child of God says my cup. I've got a cup that's running over. I've got a cup that's running over. I've got a cup that's running over. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Verse 1, that man is questioning God. But when we get to verse 6, that man is singing to God. 
And we need to get some of you from stress to strength, from pouting to shouting. And I feel strongly about this today. These questions, these plagues, that grub that seems to burrow its way into your mind and your soul. It's going to be, I want to believe for that thing to be gone today. Seriously, balcony, main floor, hold on. We're going to get to you online. If you're here today, I I want you to just go in like Pastor Tim. I need to move into this new place from stress to strength, from pouting to shout. Get out of your seat right now. I want to pray for you quickly. Just get out of your seat. Get up here as fast as you can. Don't worry about it. Listen, move by all the powders next to you. Let them pout. Let them worry about, no, I'm not doing it. You get out going like, I'm moving to strength today. Balcony, come on. You find your way down here. We'll wait for you. And we're going to believe today is a day of strength, that God is going to begin to go deep inside the souls of people in this place. Find your way back to the main exits you can come down here but this is a day of praise this is a day of strength this is a day that stress the grub begins to be pulled out of us you can hit me but I'm gonna sing you can attack me but I'm gonna praise him you can you can bring trials but my hands are going up to heaven you can come against me ten different ways And there's just 10 different praise songs that are going to come out of my soul and do something deep inside of me. If you hit them, they'll sing. If you hit that choir, they'll sing. They'll rejoice. They'll praise Him. They'll worship God. They'll do something for God. God will do something. I've watched it. Hit Elder Vicky. She'll sing. She'll sing. She'll sing, she'll sing. I'm telling you, hit me, say whatever you want, post whatever you want. There's a praise waiting to come out. There's a song deep inside me. God is ready to do it today. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. You know, we we gotta sing something. We gotta sing something. This is what I... Ricardo, worship team, instruments. Yuha, listen to this. Because I'm hearing your story. Hearing your story on Wednesday. You and Pivey get hit, but you still sing. I watch you there on the bass, and I watch those hands go up. And I'm just going, hit him and he'll sing. Hit him and he'll sing. And you know what's amazing? That word for sing, I think it was Spurgeon who said, it's not the person up here. They said it's a traveling minstrel. It's the guy you see in Central Park. It's the guy you see singing at Columbus. It's the guy that goes, it doesn't matter where, I don't need a church building. It's the minstrel, it's it's the traveling minstrel. It says, I can sing in New Jersey. I can sing in Iran and Iraq. I can sing in a closet. I can sing when everything's against me. I can can even sing in Staten Island. I can sing. I can sing in Manhattan. I can sing in Connecticut. I can can sing at Morgan Stanley. I can sing on Wall Street and NYU. I'm a traveling prayer warrior. I'm a tra- Hit me and I'll sing. Hit me and I'll sing. I don't need church on Sunday. I've got God in hallelujah. I'm so excited right now. Listen, whatever comes, whatever comes, whatever comes to our city, to our listen, I'm not worried. I've got something deep inside of me today. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Come on, lift your hands right now. Father, right now, for every person that's coming to this altar says, I need to go from stress to strength, from pouting to shouting. God, we start with this. We start with you have been bountiful. You have blessed us bountifully. Oh, God, you held nothing back. And Father, we have been upset that you haven't answered our questions. But God, we're praying now, enlighten our eyes. Enlighten our eyes. Enlighten our eyes. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, I know, okay, but let me just say this. You can put your hands down. I know we've got we to sing something. I don't even know what we're supposed to sing. I don't even know. But let me just tell you this. 
You, you know, there are some here that, that are watching online and in person. You're going, what? I, I, I can never do that. See, when you understand when Christ is in you, you can face those things. How come? Here it is. Greater is he that is than he that is in the world. I've got something greater inside of me that when the stress tries to come and squeeze, all of a sudden, Jesus in me is going, seriously? You're going to try, you're going to try to, I'm in this brother. I'm in this sister. I'm in this person. You're going to try to squeak. Mm -mm. And if you've never known what it is to be a Christian, to have Jesus in you, Jesus in you, that some of you are going like, why are these people so happy? It's Christ in them. It's Jesus in them. Every head up, everybody looking around, watch around the watch, just watch. If you're here today and say, I, I need Christ in me. I, I've known what it is to go to a religious service. I know what it is to say that I'm a Muslim or a Jew. Or I'm a Catholic. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Methodist. I'm a, but I, I need Christ in me. I don't, I don't need a label on me. I need Christ in me. Jesus in me. If you're here, listen, you're going, Pastor Tim, I got it. I need him in me. I need, I need my life changed. I start with... I start with this. David says this. Remember what he says. He, these are the words. This is what he says. He says, I've trusted in your loving kindness and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. If you don't have salvation, you can't rejoice. You can't rejoice. You could be saved today. You could be born again today. You could be changed today. I want you, wherever you're at in this building, you're saying, Pastor Tim, I want that. I want God to come in and change me from the inside out. If that's you, with no hesitation, just say, Put me, pray for me, just right now. I want that. Hold your hand up as high as you can. Hold it up as high as you can. Keep them up high. Yes, 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 yes. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All over there, all over there, there. Yes, yes, yes. All over. Balcony, I see you up there, up there. Come on, I want you to pray this with me all over this place. Say this out loud. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin my shame and my guilt and you died for it you faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father today Lord Jesus I turn from my sin to be born again God is my father Jesus is my savior the Holy Spirit is my helper. The Bible is my guide. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.